Listeners, this is Costume Station Zero. I'm Bob Mitch with a very special guest, costume designer Miss June Hudson. Hello, I'm June Hudson, costume designer for Doctor Who and also for Blake Seven. Science fiction is my speciality. It's been an enormous privilege to work on the show and, and, and a great privilege to meet all the fans who are simply wonderful. I mean, their imagination of their costumes, I mean, it's just marvelous. Some of them are just wonderful. Your, your costume is lovely. Thank you. Thank and you. you look terrific in it. And I think the, the work that is done by the fans is simply yeah. breathtaking. I think the, the, I mean, I was photographed with a number of them, and, and some one, I, I, for once, I thought he was Phil Bester McCoy. Oh, I yes, say, oh, I, know, I know the gentleman you were yeah, talking about. I said, oh, I was going to say, oh, no, Sylvester. I suddenly realized it wasn't. He was so like him. Oh, yeah. And I, I do think that the imagination that they have it's incredible. Yeah. I think it, all the, the ideas of costume and the sheer ingenuity, I mean, well, they're, they're, science, they're science fiction aficionados, aren't they? And they, they love it, and it shows. Well, and I, again, you look terrific in your outfit with the little tubes of paint. Yes. And waistcoat and that beautiful coat, which is so wonderfully made. Did you ever think that one day there would be fans recreating some of your work from Doctor Who? No, not really. I mean, they used to walk, write about it a bit in the little fan magazine. Yeah. No, I, not to this extent, no. It's just breathtaking. No, I just think it's wonderfully flattering. Mm. Goodness, is it flattering? And I said my favorite design were, and they, they happened to be two of them in the audience, so I thought, well, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, because it's nice that, that that was my favorite too. And, and so they, and I think they made a wonderful job at it. I mean, these clothes are so beautifully made. They're not fancy dress. I mean, they're beautifully right. made. They're proper clothes. How did you get your start and what attracted you to this profession? Well, I mean, I think I've always... I mean, I was thinking about that the other day when I was at, at about 13, 12, 13. I decided I liked the look of the Tudor outfits. And I, there was a dressmaker. I had one made. And again, I've chosen this... this Fun colour, I like that colour. And I'd had it made, but of course, I remember vividly my first lesson is to use the right fabric for the clothes because, mm-hmm. of course, it was, it was much too bulky, this, this dress that I right. designed and had made, it was much too bulky. Colour was lovely, but mm. the, the fabric was wrong. Uh, but I used to draw for the girls at school when mm. I was at school, they used to ask me to draw a figure for them. And then I used to draw the clothes and colour the clothes with little tabs on them. You know you see them in those costumes, yep. don't you? Mm-hmm. I used to do that for them at school. And I remember vividly doing that. 
They used to endlessly in their art class do these little things and then doing the clothes for it. So I've always had this enormous interest in drama and clothes. Mm -hmm. But I think my interest in drama and the importance of teachers was born on me when I was very young in, in primary school. The war was on. Mm -hmm. And most of the teachers had gone, had been called out, so they were mostly retired teachers. And we had a teacher called Mr. Coffey, mm -hmm. who got sacked actually. And the reason he got sacked was because he, he used to, he was Irish, used to tell us the stories, wonderful fairy tales and myths of stories where in English lesson when we were supposed to be learning verbs and adverbs. Mm -hmm. Then that's why he got, in the mm -hmm. end, he, he didn't want to be bothered with verbs and adverbs. And, and he wanted to tell us some magical stories about the, the legends and I, I was enthralled by this. Mm -hmm. And I remember one question he asked us all, because food was fresh. Mm -hmm. um, he said, now, he said, I'm going to ask you, I won't attempt to reproduce this voice, he said, I'm I, I going to ask you all now, he said, which heaven would you like to go to? He said, would you like to go to the heaven with the clouds and the angels? He said, or would you like to go to the heaven with the tables groaning with food? <laughs> and there was, where do you want to go to the Norseman's heaven? And of course, the, the, the headmistress came and, and, and started drawing them. We said, we're supposed to be learning about verbs and adverbs and, 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 and nouns and... <laughs> You know, what is this, you know? So, but I do, but he, the magic of Mr. Coffey has stayed with me my whole life. And I would say that he was the beginning mm -hmm. of my deep love of art and poetry and drama. Because Mr. Coffey, when I was a little girl in primary school, mm -hmm. and I say thanks, Mr. Coffey. As a matter of fact, I think he's one of my classwork. You know, when they ask you who your first is. Could I ever forget Mr. Coffey? So, uh, how did you actually get into the profession? Well, I started, um, <clears throat> because I was an artist, I, I was at art school. I, I joined a firm which specialized in set design and stage design, uh -huh. called Stage Decor, it's in central London. And then Oliver Messel came to that firm to have some stage sets done that he was designing and he took me on as his assistant for the Sleeping Beauty and also uh, Cleopatra which mm -hmm. is was Taylor's because he was the first designer for that mm -hmm. on the He got sack or there was a mutual agreement because Elizabeth Taylor did not want to wear the traditional wigs and all, you know, right. because he had designed Meeting at the Sphinx with Claude Rains mm -hmm. and Vivian Lee, uh, because Oliver Messer was asked, because he had done the earlier film in the 30s, um, but Elizabeth Taylor didn't want that. She wanted, she was afraid of her image, really. Sure. Um, it was 1959, 61. I mean, she wanted to look, she didn't want to lose her image. Sure. And uh, I remember I was doing some jewellery, some slaves' jewellery in working on the, with, and he came back to his his house where I was working in the studio. He said, well, he said, you get it, he said, because I'm off the show. Mm. Um, and so I 
left, finally I left all the rest of going to television. I was offered a job. I wanted to get into television. It was in its infancy. Mm-hmm. And I went to ATV Elstrom, which was the, a commercial boat about 50 miles up London. Uh-huh. Um, and there I was introduced to television black and white. But no colour, I mean, just... And it was, the, it was there um, in the early 60s that I learned the craft of working in television. And then, then in 1966, I joined the BBC. And I left the BBC um, because they were making everybody redundant. I think it was 92, I think, or 93, I can't quite remember. And then I did Madame Tussauds. I had to sign Madame Tussauds, the new Madame Tussauds in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. I was offered that. And I took that. It was a miles away, of course, from television, but it was a lovely project. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was at the BBC for that period of time. I think it was about 25 years, wouldn't it be? Mm-hmm. 60, 60. So working in television, um, I was fortunate enough to work in the magical years of television between the 60s and the 80s. Those years um, were magical years. We had the best of it. I, I would agree that, that yeah, these are these are the years that I grew up on that you know shaped my life. So yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, how do you feel the role or responsibilities of a costume designer has changed since those days to today? As far as dealing with actors, it hasn't changed really. Sure. Um, the role of the costume designer has become more prominent. Um, I remember one of the reasons because I like my work to be credited as an artist. I knew the BBC did the best programs, mm-hmm. and they gave us credits, Radio Times credits, credits, screen credits, which they didn't at ATV, which I, I didn't like that, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, it's creative work, but they only have very, very brief ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds an awfully shallow reason. That wasn't the reason. It was it's that the quality of the BBC, to get to the BBC, mm-hmm. was was to, to, to arrive, and I wanted to get to the BBC. Sure. And uh, luckily... Um, Somebody had left the BBC and they were looking for costume designers. And I said, yes, you know, I'm in there. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very, very lucky because... But also I think the, the head, Peter Shepherd, um, you see, we were called supervisors then. Mm. Costume supervisors. Because that, that was a funny thing about going to ATV because... I was a costume designer. I looked at it. I said, costume, there's a job going at, at ATV for a costume supervisor. Mm-hmm. Wardrobe supervisor. No, wardrobe supervisor. And I thought, wardrobe supervisor? That sounded to me like uh, somebody in a black dress walking around a store. Um, and I couldn't... But what I didn't know was, of course, that it was another name for costume designer. It was just that we were called wardrobe supervisors. Mm-hmm. And I think Peter Shepherd, when I got to the BBC, changed all that. We got screen credits, of course, and Radio Times credits, but it also um, raised our status, you know, because it was, it was funny. We were rather looked on the sort of wardrobe people, you know, that did the ironing. They were, I mean, when we went, because it was mainly based on the concept of the theatre where the the uh, production designer designs the costume as well as the 
set, mm -hmm. and there was that little tradition had hung on because television was new. Right. But the role of the costume designer has become now bigger, and there's huge amount of recognition. Where to begin with, there, there was virtually no recognition. Mm -hmm. You know, your name would be on the screen, but nobody really knew. I mean, in Hollywood, of course, was very different in America. I mean, his head and all these wonderful, wonderful costume designers that were, were, were fated. But in England, at that time of television, no. But it grew. I mean, Pete Shepard certainly was a very big hand in that. Jacqueline Pierce. Yes. Was such a gorgeous and wonderful woman, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, like, yeah. Such a fabulous artist. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was always in white. I mean, I was dressed her in white. I think she was just fabulous. Yeah, yeah. The, that trademark serval in white. Um, we had a wonderful time in the studio making that with David Maloney. Because what we used to do, she had a new frock for every adventure, mm -hmm. a new dress. And David Maloney used to come to the fitting. He used to roar with laughter at some of the creations, but he didn't come to Jackie Pierce's fitting. He used to come to the fittings for the various artists. And he sometimes used to roar with laughter. He absolutely loved it. He okay. absolutely loved these insane creations. But it was a big feature of Jackie Pierce that on the first day of the studio, she would do a walk down. That's, uh, you mean like a, a She made an entrance into mm -hmm. the studio. And all the crew, Almost a parade. all the camera, everybody, Jackie is coming into the studio. And she swept in, in her new creation. And it was a feature of the show. Every adventure, Jackie came in in her mm -hmm. new beautiful frock. And she, and it was something you know we did, and everybody laughed. Everyone loved it. It was it was a it was a close show. I mean, David Maloney said to me um, when I was first put on the show because the original show was Army Fatigues. It was like right, yeah. Um, the first series was was Army. It, it wasn't glamorous. It wasn't no. sci-fi. More dressed down. Yeah. Yes, it was more sort of army-ish. Um, and David Maloney said he wanted sword and sorcery, wanted glamour, sure, sure. Um, very uh, lots of imagination. And mm -hmm. so I was asked to do the show, and I was thrilled a bit. So I, I was doing Doctor Who at the time, and I was mm -hmm. taken off Doctor Who to do Blade Seven. Okay. And ultimately went back to Doctor Who. I left Blade Seven to go back to Doctor Who. Um, but he said that science fiction is special effects and costumes. And that's where he would put money. Oh, that's great. That had to be a real joy, right? Yeah. I mean, particularly, it's most unusual to hear a producer say that, I must say, um, they've got any money. I mean, it's something they never say. Mm. I mean, I, I've been told even Spielberg said, we've got a rather low budget on this. And they, nobody ever admits they've got any money. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> told to who. Right. <laughs> Seven was no exception. Mm -hmm. um, but the freedom with which one worked on those shows. The trust and confidence they had in me is very stimulating to the imagination. I mean, it means you don't have any constraints. Obviously, you have a brief. I mean, all designers have a brief. But within that brief, I, I mean, I talked to him 
about things. But I mean, he he just said that's fine, you know. Mm. And uh, I remember John Bennett was in one, <laughs> and he was playing an engineer. And I still got the gloves actually. And I I put him in a fantastic sort of robe, you know, and 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 this sort of because I, mean, I just you you just could not go too far on Bledsoe, and it wasn't possible. Uh-huh. And David Baloney came to the fitting and he looked at John and he said, well, what's he playing? And I said, an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> I remember he, he roared with laughter and he loved it. He said, oh, that's great. He said, they should all dress like that. I mean, we just had a... And I, for another one, I borrowed the um, Michelin. Because, right. it, again, it was money. I mean, it sure. cost a fortune to make this, this, this stranger... I believe and, that was a killer. That's a good episode. Yeah. And, it, and I borrowed the, the, the Michelin man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I remember it well. Yeah, it's without the head, head right? The head, yeah. yeah. So, of course, we had to do the head because the head had to be done. But at least we had the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, late seven for me has most enormous fun memories, as indeed both the programs got to late seven. But the fans that offer both aren't they, for Blake Seven and Doctor Who. I mean, they, they love this show. I mm-hmm. mean, you get uh, officiators for Doctor Who that is totally focused Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And there are others who, who like that as well. But some of the vision, um, because before I did those two programs, I did a little excerpts um, of A for Andromeda, um, which was... I, I've seen it. It's a really interesting series. I mean, what survives of it anyway? Yes. Now, the writer of that was an astronomer, mm-hmm. Fred Hoyle. Right. Now, Fred Hoyle, we were strictly forbidden to ring him up. I didn't know, luckily, because I did ring him up. Not that I got very far, because he was sweet, he was lovely. But I just wanted to know what his vision was and the future was close. I just said, well, he's an astronomer, he's written this. I'd like to know what he has in mind. Sure. So I said, well, what do you think then um, that people will wear in the future? So there was a sort of silence. And he said, well, uh, he said, you know those things they send away for? So I said, what? Oh, I thought, you mean Daymart, Thermaware, okay. Long Johns, okay. Warmers, right. you wear for climbing mountains. He was a walker, a hill walker, uh-huh. imagine he was a, so that's what he's, he said, I don't think they'd go into space in medieval suits of armour. He said, I, I think maybe, he said, the clothes of the future are going to be Daymar. <laughs> so I said, oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> well, I think he had overlooked the fact that human beings need to have visions of themselves in something slightly more glamorous. And certainly, we all need something a bit more help than Daymart long yes. term. <laughs> yes, 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 a little That was very, very funny with um, Fred Hoyle. That was, but that was my first entry, and I worked with Jane Asher. Mm-hmm. And Jane Asher, the most gorgeous figure, wonderful. And you see, Lycra then was unknown virtually at that period. And I sent away to a place in Germany, where the, which they used to supply the belly companies. Mm-hmm. And I got this lycra and I put um, Jane Asher in a all-over, close-fitting 
pale green lycra suit. And it was, it literally was like a second skin, but this was unknown, you see. I mean, now, I mean, it's very complex, but then it wasn't. And Freddie Yeager, wasn't it? And he was in, um, and he had royal blue and, and, now, were these just like the two-way stretch kind of uh, lycra from then? Or yes. Was that the, it was just a two-way stretch? It was, yes, it was a two-way stretch. And and it was... Um, and you could get it in these fabulous colours. Mm -hmm. And I've, all the, the cast, I put in all these... Everyone had a different colour. Uh, Jane Asher was pale green. There was royal blue. Um, black was one. Uh, but it, the effect was incredible. It really was. I mean, they, they looked so super. I loved it. I was a very great lover of, of lycra. I think it, it was the magical. But of course, blue hair and lycra then was new. But what do you do to be new now? I mean, it's, it's very hard for science fiction designs now because everybody's wearing science fiction clothes. So I think in a way they retreat back into... Well, yes, they do. You yes. see, they go back to the tweed jacket because all the lycra and all the blue hair and all is is commonplace now. So I mean, you you're going in circles, really, mm -hmm. looking for something new. Right, uh, kind of that retro vibe goes into science fiction today. But talking about that too, mm -hmm. I I got lots of wonderful ideas that didn't always uh, turn out as one had hoped. I remember there was one. Uh, where I decided that these alien girls, I'm trying to think of the episode, they were dressed in clear plastic. Uh, is this Dr. Blake was, 7? This is Blake 7. Okay. And it was clear plastic, like armour. But what I had overlooked, they weren't like what I had overlooked, the fact that it steamed up. Right. And I thought, oh. You see, it was all right in the fitting room, sure. mm -hmm. because they only put them on for a few yep. minutes. I was thrilled yep. to bits, back form, plastic, and mm -hmm. I thought, this is amazing. These these girls, who are beautiful girls, mm -hmm. are going to look fantastic. Uh, but of course, in under the studio lights and perspiration, they, they began to steam up. So that was a big problem. But the dresses and myself were in the whole time spraying it with anti-mistra. You see, these are the hazards. Yeah. The, the practical application of some of yes. these. And, but, I mean, the reason I talked about um, Blake 7 so much, really, though, this Doctor Who convention, um, they are, I mean, having jumped from one to the other, mm -hmm. um, it's science fiction. I suppose I am a science fiction specialist, science fiction designer, very much so. Mm -hmm. Though I did many of the programmes, the comedy programmes. and I mean, for the BBC, the nice thing about the BBC working for them as a designer, that, you, that one got a huge variety of programs. I mean, they, they would give you light comedy one minute, um, science fiction the next, Dickens the next. Oh, wow. So really um, a wide gamut. It was a very, very wide gamut. And because you had to be qualified in every way so that you were capable of doing everything from uniforms right through, which was a huge help. Mm -hmm. when you were designing things like science fiction because your experience, particularly with period costume, would would encompass all those disciplines. Seems like it would provide a very wide palette to draw from. It did. 
I mean, one of the things you discover is you're never going to design anything new. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think one of the great delusions that I had at the beginning of this, I mean, I laugh at myself now because it's really ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought I was going to design for Doctor Who. Um, Tom Baker shirt, the, the John Nathan Turner wanted it. A, a really yeah. original shirt, uh -huh. you know, a shirt that nobody else had ever worn before. <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah, it's okay. And I thought, well, I've got a good imagination. And uh, I mean, th that was one of the pictures that we'll put up on the panel mm -hmm. um, yes. of my vain attempts to do a shirt that had never been done before. And I thought I'd achieved it once. And then I found that it, it way back in the 30s, somebody. <laughs> and also, you've got to be too very, very careful with men's clothes to keep um, the look that is masculine, to keep the, the stroke, because it's not the decoration, because some of the most bloodthirsty people in the world were the 17th century pirates with their flowing locks and high heel right. shoes. Um, it wasn't that. It was, it mustn't look fancy dressmaker. It must not look contrived. It, it must be practical. Men, I think, wear practical clothes, actually. Women sure. will wear um, things that are not practical. But I think men tend to, and I think you have, the, it's hard to pin it down, but when you look at it, mm -hmm. um, it's an instinct thing. You look at it and you say to yourself, that doesn't look right. I mean, that won't work. It, it looks too fancy, too contrived. Um, so again, after going round in a complete circle, I, I came back and thought, well, what works better than the slightly Byronic collar that's, it works best. I mean, it's like the shark is a perfect design, mm. I've, I've always been told, and so is a shirt. The shirt is a perfect design. You cannot improve on perfection. I mean, the shirt is a perfect design, so I thought, right, okay, that's where it's got to be. Right. And so I, I retreated, licking my wounds on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it was J&T who made you add the question marks on the lapel. Yes, now that was done with the utmost reluctance because, again, John Nathan Turner had huge confidence in me. I, I, I loved working with him. Mm -hmm. I had a very deep affection for him personally. And, and I felt, too, that he, he would take my... Um, my response to some of his suggestions were not well. I mean, I, it did, I did not receive well the fact he was going to put a large question mark on the collar. And mm -hmm. I said, well, no gentleman would ever wear that. <laughs> um, because one of the things I think one must remember about Doctor Who, he is a gentleman. Mm -hmm. He has all the instincts. He is, he might be often shabby. He might, but Essentially, he is a gentleman. Mm -hmm. On that inclination with Tom, I said he could have it embroidered in the same colour as the shirt cream, so that you would see it if the light fell on it okay. as a shadow. I said, it's discreet, it's tasteful. Um, and he said, but I don't want that. Uh, <laughs> he said, I want to sell these shirts. Uh -huh. I want the question mark. So I said, well... Okay, you mm -hmm. know, but uh, I must say that uh, well, I, he did listen when I said no, I don't, I don't think so. And in the end, he said to me, "Look, 
Tune out, just do what you want. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I showed him lots of designs. Mm -hmm. um, but Tom Baker was lovely. I mean, he said to me, I will wear anything you design. And for me, that was hugely, hugely complimentary. I mean, mm -hmm. well, I liked it. I mean, my thing is I love glamour. Um, I love handsome men and beautiful women. And if I'm with an artist within the confines of the character, right. because obviously they're playing the character and you must, whatever you design, is to assist the actor to be that character. I think of why they were cast in the first place mm -hmm. and to enhance that quality. Of course. Now, there is no reason um, in science fiction why people aren't, like Jacqueline Pierce um, in Blake Seven, she, you could just make her as beautiful as, because that's what she was beautiful and elegant. And Tom, I mean, he had height, presence, style. He could wear anything. I mean, I didn't have to look at him and think, I've got to be careful, maybe this won't work on him. It won't compliment him, but Tom could wear anything. Hmm. And a costume would never wear Tom. He wore the costume, and, <laughs> and that is the difference. So with Tom, the designer has a very, very free hand because he can wear it. And the same with Jacqueline Pierce. Mm -hmm. And the same with Lala. Mm, right, Lala Ward. Lala Ward. <clears throat> beautiful figure, loads of confidence, beautiful hair. Mm -hmm. I mean, whatever she wore, she looked great. And also she had the imagination and the flexibility to say, yes, I love it. You know, she, because I think too, to look pretty and sexy without being overt, because none of the costumes were revealing. But to give, she said, after all, dads are watching too. And I said, yes, they are. And, right. and so therefore we want to have pretty and elegant and beautiful clothes. Mm -hmm. She liked tomboyish things, actually. I for, for the leisure hive, um, I did, I saw a bathing suit on the beach. And I saw, so I was here in the um, And I don't know, the, the, the women's on that period were a bit layered and a bit bulky. And a bit, but then I thought it's rather... The, the boys' bathing suits, the Edwardian boys' bathing suits, were really lovely. And, and again, with her pretty figure and slender face, she looked gorgeous. No, that outfit was fantastic. It was absolute. Though, in fact, in the studio, we had a slight problem with it, uh, which was easily solved. Um, well, I panicked, actually, because it had blue in it. And we were using CSO color separation overlay. Um, blue screens, screen. blue screens, mm -hmm. and I thought, oh gosh, it's blue. And but they they threw a red light on it. They put some red in the lighting, mm -hmm. which lifted it out of the spectrum. So that was a very great relief to me mm. because I thought, oh no, she's got to wear that. She looks fabulous in it, you know. And the sort that I would have to redesign or remake it, you know, it was just scary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it, we did overcome that. Thank goodness. The lighting are hugely helpful oh, to a course. design. Of course. And you have to know um, that they will always help you. If you go and speak to them, say, if I've got a problem, you say, oh, there is anything you particularly like. Oh, I remember one lighting man. I did have a moment when the destiny of the Daleks, I think it was, 
and I'd got everybody in these because we didn't have it. No, it wasn't Destiny of the Daleks. It was one of them because I love white and I, uh-huh. it was cheap and effective. And see, it was money. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, what looks effective? I mean, black and white are exceedingly effective, and they couldn't be black. Um, white, and I got out from the gallery, and the the lighting chap said to me, "Do you think we could dip those down a bit?" June, he said, they're a bit too white. I said, the fact is, the whole point of these people, they are sensationally white. (laughs) (laughs) I said, the costume will look awful. I said, the only quality, I said, it's cheap, it's effective, it's simple, and it's white. Would this be for the Mavellans, maybe? No, it wasn't. it, It was... The Mavellas, were they the ones with like the silver hair yes, and the, the silver, all white outfits? Yeah, I don't think yeah, yeah. it was that. There was, no, it wasn't them. That oh, okay. was okay because we did a lot of shooting outside. No, it wasn't them because okay. they wouldn't interfere with Suzanne Danielle looking like a million dollars in that. Uh, <laughs> no way. I mean, <laughs> no way. Um, no, uh, it was, it was an episode that had quite a few people. So it had to be simple costumes. And I thought, well, simple costume, you can't have robes. It was sort of, ent- okay. they were in a, a console, it can't have robes, can't have. Um, and I, I thought, it was great, these simple white outfits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really funny when you wanted to dip them down. But I mean, the GNT, John Linton, in said, we'll go with a white, you know, you'll have to mm. <laughs> take the lighting down or something. Thank goodness for that. Mm. But you see, the strengths of a costume designer, I think, was maturity. Um, the confidence that you have to remember, as I once had occasion to remark in the studio and somebody, the camera was being, I, I don't know who it was, it, it was somebody in that position. I said, I must remind you that I'm as professional in my job as you are in yours. Um, which is true. I mean, the costume is 90% of the screen, isn't it? 90% of the, the person. Right. So it has to be considered, and remembering that David Maloney's remark, which I think is great, it's all costumes and special effects, then one must remember that and have the confidence, as I did with John, to say, that's not going to work, it's not right. Because this is what the director wants. Mm-hmm. Whoever embarks on being a director is very fussy about who they have as a designer, who they have indeed in anything. But why? If they don't want your input, why would they employ you? Right. They need to be able to rely on me uh, to say this won't work or it will work, it will look terrific on the screen. Trust me. And I think... You have to be to give the director confidence in that that he know that he knows that you know what you're doing mm-hmm. and that you're not going to get there and 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 you know the oh my god you know this isn't working. I mean it's a great fear of of every designer you know and I should think he, with all the confidence in the world I've always taken risks. Well, I mean you have to in science fiction. Yeah, I think. you do, but not only in science fiction. Um, I remember I did the Seaburn plays, and it was set in the desert. It was Don Taylor in 1984. I know it's just digressing, but it's just a design point. Um, and it was set in a desert area with soldiers in khaki uniforms, everything. Mm-hmm. 
and the Greek chorus <coughs> were 12 women, all of them actresses of note, most of them leading ladies, mm -hmm. as the Greek chorus indeed is. <coughs> it is always principles. Mm -hmm. And uh, that particular episode, I looked at the chorus, who would be always there intoning the 12 women in the stories they do in Greek drama, and I decided that it would work as a rainbow over the desert. And I got some swatches of Indian fabric with natural dye, because I didn't want hard artificial, rich colours, and I got a big swatch of colours, and I gave them to these 12 actresses and said, choose your colour. So they each chose a colour. But the producer, Louis Marx, said, all these women are 40-odd. What, isn't this, these colours a bit too strong and a bit too harsh? Wouldn't they be better in neutrals? And I said, no. And he, he was obviously worried, because it's a very big, very expensive production. Mm -hmm. um, and I said, no, it will work. And Rod Litherland was the lighting director. And I said, Rod, this is what I'm doing. I said, I want the effect to be a rainbow over the desert. We cannot have neutrals in a, in a desert mm -hmm. where, where it's all sand colored. We've got to have the rich color. And when their voices come out, it must come out from a rainbow. Mm -hmm. But I must admit, um, my heart was in my mouth when we switched on for the tech room. And we saw it on the screen for the first time. <sighs> you know, it worked magnificently. I mean, you've simply got, I mean, you cannot, the worst thing you can do is to play safe, really, as a designer. It really, it, it's, it's okay. I think maybe the designer feels, oh, well, I can't make any mistakes. But also, you don't make any interest. It, it's got to be interesting. Mm -hmm. And in a funny sort of way, that code, I would never have designed that code for Colin Baker. Colin Baker. Yeah, I've seen your alternate design. It was really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... I did think about it, actually. And the same with um, Sylvester McCoy's waistcoat. With the, uh, the jumper. Yeah. Um, but that is Doctor Who. That's what makes Doctor Who so magical mm -hmm. and so wonderful. Are these outrageous, extraordinary, <laughs> unbelievable things. I mean, I wouldn't have designed it. That doesn't make it wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, and I mean, I wouldn't have put so many question marks on them. But, but what a crazy, wonderful image. It does and, stay with people. And it stays with people. Mm -hmm. And it's, it has impact. It has style. It, you know, so all us different designers, we give what we have mm -hmm. to the show. And it's, I think that it's okay. You know, I would never criticize that. Even though I would, wouldn't have designed it, as I said, it doesn't mm -hmm. make it wrong. Uh, it, it just creates enormous interest. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I was saying, I've seen your um, alternate designs for uh, like the Sixth Doctor and the Seventh Doctor and the Eighth Doctor. Those, some of those designs are just beautiful. And they so in keep with where it began um, but it's like a natural evolution. So I wanted to ask you, and you probably already answered this, do you feel there's a key component um, of the Doctor's character, despite the different actors who might play him, that you would keep as a, as a thread of that character when designing him? Yes, I think you've got to have a theme. Um, and what I was talking about earlier, actually, about these 
like kind of baker's jacket or mm -hmm. the, the waistcoat, is that if I'd, if I'd had that, they could wear it for a limited time. Okay. If and get rid of it, wear it. Yes, mm -hmm. I mean I think that's what I how I would have handled it if if JNT wanted it. Um, it would be to wear it for a limited time and then wear something else instead of wearing it all the way through. Right. But you do, I think, with the doctor to have some sort of theme, mm -hmm. um, something that suits the individual. That, as I said is the reason they were cast in the first place, that enhances their personality, mm -hmm. is right for them, is comfortable for them to realise the character they're playing so that you, you're not really looking at the clothes. I mean, you do if you're interested in clothes, you're a designer, of course you do. But in fact, the audience should see the doctor as a whole, to see the doctor. And what he wears is part of him, mm -hmm. rather like a, 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 a bird with plumage, you know, a peacock or, a, you know, or a hen, they, 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 or a cockerel, rooster. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they are their, their garments. And you, I mean, you might admire the plumage, but the plumage is the person. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yes, I think that there would be, a, even though the, sh I mean, you and others and me, we wear, I wear a variety of clothes, but they're more or less in the same style. Mm -hmm. Because I know what suits me, I know what's comfortable, I know what can look. And so though they're very different, they have their own personality, they right. have their own style, which you, one very seldom steps out of. Mm -hmm. And it, usually when one does, it doesn't work. So yes, I would say you would keep a, a definite scene. Yeah, like a, like a key silhouette, you would say? A key silhouette, mm -hmm. yes. Um, <laughs> so when you see him, it, he is this identifiable figure. He must, uh, this is why I believe in um, all one color for, for gum, uh, block, like block Tom, it was all this, this maroon plum color. Mm -hmm. um, and because wherever he was, wherever that person is in the picture, as a matter of fact, recently, I was very interested to see this, um, our own queen, Elizabeth mm -hmm. um, II, um, she has now more and more wearing one colour. It's either all yellow or it's either all mauve. Or so, and it means that wherever she is in crowds, you can see her. Mm -hmm. She doesn't get lost. And I think to make a maximum impression, to make impact, to have all one colour really works because mm -hmm. it's striking. And I like the striking image, mm -hmm. the striking look. I think that for um, for Doctor Who, designing for Doctor Who, for the Doctor, I would want to have a striking image rather than a particularly comfortable image, but it would be, for me, should be a striking image. Uh, dramatic only in as far as it suits the actor's personality. Mm -hmm. Oh, completely. I actually... I'm going to get back to Tom's costume in a minute. Uh, do you feel um, the actor and who they've cast has a greater influence on your design or the character they've written? Actors are very anxious to get it right, aren't we all? Mm -hmm. And they rely on the costume designer to give them the confidence to know that what they're wearing will be good for them. Mm -hmm. They do have influence. Of course, um, in that they will offer 
you know, that, well, I, I, I quite like the idea of this, or I, I, um, or I, my leg writing is ridiculous. Um, or they'll, they'll be, they'll worry about, about, um, that they might be put into something against their will, which is nonsense. I mean, nobody would ever do that. I mean, that is one of the things that I teach at the Redlands mm -hmm. University. I teach costume design. Uh -huh. And they, that is one of the cardinal things, is dealing with actors and actresses, is being in tune with them and giving them the confidence that you're there for them, that you know how to make them look good, you know how to make them realize the character they're playing, that you're aware of that, that you're not looking and saying, oh, I love this design, I think I'll put it on this person. That That is not, that is fashion, mm -hmm. actually. Fashion which is a million miles away from drama, in my opinion, mm -hmm. because of course it's the clothes walking about in drama differently. I mean, that I wouldn't come along and just say, oh, I've just done this lovely design, I want you to wear it. I mean, there would be a long thought and consultation, and it'll be in the script, too. Mm -hmm, of course. What do they have to do in the costume? Mm -hmm. Are we filming in the studio? Are we filming outside? Mm -hmm. If we're filming outside, what's the weather going to be like? What's it like underfoot? Right, right. Um, is it cold? Or is it too hot? I mean, you say, well, what actually have you got to do in this? Mm -hmm. I mean, are you going to be crawling under things, climbing up things? I mean, these are things that they must have be able to have freedom of movement. Mm -hmm. Some of the costumes, um, I was looking at the costume exhibition at the V&A, the Hollywood costume exhibition, extraordinarily wonderful. Oh, yeah. And the, a lot of the men's costumes, I mean, one of the things that they have is, is like the pleating. Um, under the arm and behind them and along the back so that it falls back into place when their arms drop but you can see at once that they're being given action heroes given plenty of movement mm -hmm. so that they still look smart they still look good because in fact it's it's almost sort of pleated and it's got the so you can actually move in this garment but it still looks smart right it has to be able to exactly on the, indeed, yes, and on the whole, I think I'm a great fan of tailoring. Mm -hmm. I think tailored clothes are the most flattering uh, to people, and some people can wear those loose and blousy and fluffy, but they've got to be incredibly um, tall and thin, mm -hmm. really, to wear that. So, in order to um, make people look striking and smart, I think the always think of the tailoring, but tailoring is expensive. Mm -hmm. And the next best thing, as far as I'm concerned, are drapes, which always look wonderful. And I save so much money with drapes, like the leisure hive, mm -hmm. right. <laughs> which I used again for Legopolis. Yes, that, that was a good story. Could you, yeah. could you repeat that? Yes. Um, uh, the, when we got to Legopolis, all the money had been spent on Jodra Bank, that wonderful model that we mm -hmm. had in the studio. Right. And John said to me, to the producer, John Nathan Turner, said to me, I there's hardly any money left. We just about hit the, hit the bottom of this. Um, so what do you think? And I thought, well, I thought, well, it's got to be drapes, cheap old drapes. Um, also, for appearance, I mean, I love drapes. I mean, sure. drapes are magnificent. I, uh, and uh, I 
didn't want to, to die old leisure hive was again, I always think of the archives. I'm one of the few designers I think on, on Doctor of the old series that did. I mean, it always amazed me that the BBC didn't see how important it was to keep these costumes. Anyway, I decided I would not dye all of them, so I kept some. Mm -hmm. um, but some I tried to dip in, not personally, but I'd get them dipped in a, in a dye, and the dye just ran off them, because it was polyester oh, jersey. Yeah. Polyester jersey is the most wonderful fabric in the whole world, because it will not get dirty. If you wash it, wash like a rag. Um, but it won't die. But I did, in the end, get somebody called Audrey G, who was a professional dyer. She mm -hmm. managed to dye it, and it went a funny, muddy, um, mustardy colour, uh -huh. which was okay. It was sufficiently unlike clear, bright yellow that it worked. Right. For the top, I had some nice little plain capes made, again, cheaply made. And it worked very well. I, I thought it... it um, I said, I like that, that's inexpensive. And we'd used it again, so it was a lot, almost like the first and the last, and, and that worked That worked very well. And so I was pleased with that. And so was John, of course, because of money. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> At the end of the season, yeah, when it runs out. And the, the costume that Janet Fielding wore, which was that, that nice lavendery blue, was yeah. lovely. And simple again, fitted, lovely figure. Mm -hmm. Small person, she looked lovely, and that's tailored, and with a little hat that matched. Right. But of course, had it been your call, you wouldn't have kept her in it for the rest of that next season, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. you see, yes. I mean, this was another, oh dear. I do not understand why John Nathan Turner decided the companion was not going to change her costume for every episode. Mm -hmm. And well, every episode she kept the same, but I mean, every adventure, mm -hmm. which usually in four parts. Right. Um, because it was financial, but financial, I mean, when you think what Doctor Who cost, I mean, production cost, it's just minute, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a tiny, tiny little pinhead, the, the cost of a costume, and the impact is simply enormous. Oh, yeah. I mean, the difference between uh, the range Romana got to wear versus Tegan or Nyssa, I mean, it's night and day. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and I, that, I was astonished by that. I was uh -huh. astonished by that decision. And I certainly, if I'd have been on the program then, mm -hmm. I, would have, I would have persuaded John that that was not a good idea. I did see him in the balance. I said, John, why are you not having... Oh, Julie said, it's, you know, it's money. And I said, but it doesn't cost very much, you know, to do a costume. Can I ask, uh, Ballpark, what was the typical budget for a costume on Doctor Who? I'm just trying to think, actually. I think it was about 4000 something like that. That's sort of in pounds. That's everything, and that includes, um, that includes, I think it was only 3000 something. Mm -hmm. um, but that included the 4000 that included monsters, if I remember correctly. Because yeah. that's where I got into trouble, when John asked for an extra monster. Uh -huh. um, and I didn't realize he knew it would cost more money. Uh -huh. So I didn't mention it. I thought, well, he obviously knows it's going to, I mean, knows how much the monsters cost, cost a fortune. Uh -huh. If they would be made by special effects, they would have paid up. Right. They had about three assistants as well as all the money. Sure. But because it's costume, 
the budget was low, which I can't understand that. I mean, it's a monster. Right. You know, it costs a lot of money. And uh, anyway, when it came back, they were very cross and said, you know, you've, you've seriously overspent. <laughs> I said, well, what do you mean? I've never overspent. Money mm -hmm. is terribly important not to overspend. I mean, you cannot spend money you haven't got. Right. So um, they said, well, I said, well, he's an extra monster. I said, well, didn't, did you, did you tell John it was going to cost more money? So I said, well, no. I mean, isn't it obvious? He said, no, not unless you tell me. I thought, John, do you imagine you've given me so much money that you can hoik an extra monster out of it? I mean, it, it's... <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry to get into trouble, but I never made that mistake again. Mm -hmm. Communication would be very key, obviously. Yeah. Um, so what, what was the distinction between when special effects would do a monster versus the costume department? Because it sounded like a murky area. It's murky area. John yeah. Nathan Turner wanted me to design it and special effects to make it. Oh. That did not go down very well. No. They were very annoyed. Uh -huh. And they said, we're quite capable of designing a monster, thank you very much. <laughs> 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 so that was that. I either had to lose the monster altogether, which a lot of designers did. Oh, wow. Lose the monster altogether, um, let special effects do it. But I didn't want that. I wanted to design monster. Of course. Definitely. So it was difficult, and Roger Oldhamster made the Fomasi. From the Leisure Hive, yes. From the Leisure Hive. I mean, I, that was, they were quite difficult costumes initially because a lizard, which is what they were, does not look like a man. I mean, the legs are all in the wrong place. I mean, with some monsters, you can do it. And mm -hmm. I, I did like the shirt. I did spend a great deal of time drawing. A lizard is a man, and it just whichever way I looked at it, it was just forget it. <laughs> okay. So I finally got a this rather large, bulbous creature with a long tail. Mm -hmm. So as a chameleon, right, with, with the eyes that moved in various directions. We ha he had a band around his head. Oh the, sure. The person wearing it, so that the, it was affixed to the eyes. So every time he moved his head, the eyes moved. That's neat, yeah. And they moved in different directions. Because that fascinated me about comedians. In fact, there I one eye on the pot and the other up the chimney. So, they, they, you know, they could look anywhere. Right. And I thought that was quite creepy. And so did the director. Um, got too close, in my opinion. Because mm. he wanted to do close-ups of these things peering. And I said, <laughs> too close, you know. They are only, they're not real. Right. You know, they're not realized. <laughs> so... So uh, I had to keep continually say, uh, 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 <laughs> you know, steady. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, uh, but what adventurous and lovely days they were. Now, um, did you design the Nymon as well? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. And that just was like a... It was a big bull head. Yes, that's right. Now that was another example. I tried to consider the actors on that occasion. Um, I wanted to get hoof effect, but they got hoofs. Right. And I, I realized the only way I could do that was by having platforms. Mm -hmm. And initially I designed quite high platforms, but they really were virtually impossible to walk on. I, I think I got a bit carried away there. <laughs> so we had to take them down to about five inches, but even so, um, ballet dancers 
were male ballet dancers were cast to wear those costumes because they had the control over their body and their movements. Right. They needed a ballet dancer who could balance, who could, who had this muscular strength to control these lifts, these these platforms. And that afterwards, I thought, oh, I don't know about that. But they had this funny gait, which in fact worked mm-hmm. dramatically. Right. Um, but that was an instance where I did slip a bit in considering the actor in, in wearing a costume. It would have been very top-heavy with the platforms. Yes, with the platforms, and and it worked visually. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the uh, ballet dancers really did a wonderful job. But I mean, they I think it's really clever to get ballet dancers. Oh yeah. Do you recall what it was made out of? Yes, it it was made out of. Um, Honey velvet suede, black honey velvet, which we, I wanted a sweaty look. Sure. And so we rubbed grease and so on top of this velvet, so it, it was like a sort of hair, but it had that slight sheen, that slight sweatiness. Okay. Yeah. And uh, actually, funnily enough, there was a sale on it. Um, Many years, so I represented BBC at a, a sale at Bonhams of mm-hmm. a lot of adult costumes. And I saw the good old Nyman. <laughs> sad old Nyman. Sad old. Sad old Nyman for <laughs> sale. And I just looked at him. It's a long time ago, you see. Right. And I looked at him and I thought, oh gosh, you know, there he is. And all the, the Doctor Who fans were there, or people buying things, you know, mm-hmm. and bidding for things. It was just amazing experience, you know, and I looked around it. And the Gundam Warriors, of course, were there. Yes. Uh, being sold, and, and people were buying them and thrilled to bits. And it was lovely to see them. And uh, another sailor I went to, um, somebody paid £5,000 for a Tom Baker's scarf, one of his old scarf. And, and with enormous joy he wrapped it round and round his mm-hmm. neck and stood there wearing his precious scarf mm-hmm. that was just magical you know you never lose that excitement i can never talk about it without being excited and when i go into a studio and the frisson is simply enormous mm-hmm. the film studio when i went back to the bbc i took some friends to see studio five where we made doctor who mm-hmm. And just walking into that studio, dark and empty, all the lights off, but look around that vast space, now empty and echoing, now sold, of course. Right, right. And, you know, the goose pimples, the excitement is always there, and you never lose it. They sounded like really, really, as you say, fun days working on that. Despite all of the, the headaches you're describing, it must have just, as you said, like like a family unit, wasn't oh, it? Oh, it was terrific. Mm-hmm. It was really terrific. And I... I I consider myself to be enormously privileged to have done, designed Doctor Who. And I did ask to do the show, as I said earlier, that um, I was a classic designer. Well, I did everything. Mm-hmm. We all did. We did um, sitcom, series, serials, anything. But Doctor Who was more in the children's. Sure. And I was a very experienced designer. Mm-hmm. So they tended to, uh, at that time, they, t- they tended to think maybe I wanted to do Dickens or Shakespeare, which I did. I did two Shakespeare's, Comedy Verus and What You Do About Nothing. But they, which was after I left Doctor Who, um, 
But they thought that I wasn't interested in doing it. They said, it's a kid's show, June. I said, yeah, the most wonderful show in the world, a designer's <laughs> dream. I, I just want to do it. And they said, well, it's fine, yeah, if you want to do it. <laughs> I worked Barry Letts, I'd worked with previously in 77, okay. on a show called Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nigel Hayes was in the play. And of course, Barry Letts' sister was in it. Oh. And of course, so Barry Letts had, had knew me and worked with me. Mm -hmm. And another interesting um, story that is linking onto that, okay. which I'd forgotten about actually, Anthony Ainley. Oh. Anthony Ainley, I'd worked with twice before. The very first time was in the late 60s. Mm -hmm. and today with Philip Savile Then later on, he appeared in Nicholas Nickleby as the dastardly lord whose carriage overturns and he dies in the theatre. Um, and after we'd finished that production, I was working on Doctor Who in my office, and Anthony came in, Anthony Amy, and he said, oh, it's lovely to see you. And I was in the building, I thought I'd pop in. <laughs> I said, I'd love to see you, Anthony. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing Doctor Who. He said, Doctor Who? Gosh, he said, I've never done Doctor Who. Yeah, I'm going to get my agent onto that. Ah. And I said, oh, good. And then he came rushing back shortly afterwards. It was, I don't know how long afterwards it was, but he said, you won't believe it. He said, they've cast me as the master. <laughs> he said, I owe it all to you. He said, I'd never have thought of Doctor Who. <laughs> so isn't that nice? That was very nice. Yes. Did, did you design his outfit for Legopolis? No, I thought, oh, I wish I had. What happened was that John Nathan Turner wanted me to do all of Doctor Who's of that, do every episode. Mm -hmm. Well, they were so close together uh, that the BBC said, no, you can have two assistants, you know, a younger designer with her, um, I, I want to do it. And the BBC, you know, they said, no, no, that, that can't happen, there's got to be two designers, you mm -hmm. know. But if you like, you know, and have the same two designers, but we must sort of leapfrog each other. Mm -hmm. So I did one, and Amy Roberts, whom I chose to be my running mate, mm -hmm. so wonderful designer. Um, and I thought she she had the imagination and the style, and I thought she'd be wonderful. Um, so she followed me, and of course we leapfrogged each other, and she got the episode where the master appeared. Oh. So I was so disappointed that I didn't get that. But she did, she did a lovely job. No, yeah, no, it's, uh, again, it's another iconic look, the black velvet yeah, and the It is, the iconic look. Yeah. It's the reason why we can't really use black for anybody, you see, because the master wears black. Yes, there you go. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you know, for Doctor Who, it chooses your own spectrum. Mm -hmm. You know, because in the end, you, you have to tick off so many colours that you're left with the small choice. Right, right. Um, on the Tom Baker costume, uh, um, you were talking about the fabrics for the, like, the coat, and uh, the waistcoat, that waistcoat fabric's beautiful, but I mean, trying to match that today is so hard. Well, it's antique fabric. Oh, it was? It was old fabric. There used to be a shop, I don't know whether it's still there, a shop called the Antique Fabric Shop. Mm -hmm. And you could buy very interesting velvets and period stuff. It, and that's why that was mentioned. Yeah, the, the color about it's so interesting too, the way the light would hit it. Um, you know, it, it would sometimes have almost like a, like, like almost a, it's so hard to describe. Mm -hmm. It's maroon with that floral pattern, and then it would almost go kind of a little gold or orange with the light. I, I don't know if I'm describing it right, but that's been half the problem with this fabric. Sometimes at some angles it would look more maroon, 
at some yes. angles, it would start to kind of take on well, that it, kind well, of the goldish it, because tone. Because it had a certain element of of panny in that, but mm. also we often treated fabrics um. Um, on top. You see, you don't always use a raw fabric. Sure. You have to cook it a bit. You sometimes do things to it, put a little bit of gold in it. I'm trying to think, actually, it was such a long time ago. Sure, sure. Um, yes, but I do know, I do remember it was an antique piece of fabric, mm -hmm. and that's why it's so difficult to make. Right. Again, well. it should be very difficult. Well, you had said for the coat that you had bought out the last of an I did, I bolt. got a bolt. It was actually just off Oxford surface. There was a, a, a kind of wholesale fabric place. You mm -hmm. sell ends of lines cheaply. And, uh, of course, always it's going to be expensive because Mr. Davis at Morris Angels made it very expensive. Mm -hmm. um, fabulous cutter, the most famous cutter in the world, Mr. Ron Davis. Mm -hmm. And I wanted him to cut that. Um, and the, the fabric was beautiful, lovely face cloth, beautiful wool face cloth, mm -hmm. elegant, perfect weight. So I bought the whole bolt. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, the, um, I think with Madame Swords wanted to do it, I can't remember what we had enough left for them to do it. I think we did, because the beat, I think the BBC charged them for it. <laughs> and they, they didn't should. like it. Well, yes, so they should. <laughs> yes, I seem to remember, yes. Because it was, it was quite a big yeah. bolt of it. Mind you, it used a lot of fabric. Sure. Yes, that was it. Yes, that stuff. It was very cheap. It, was, it worked out about six pounds a meter. It was very, wow. very wide. Uh -huh. But then we are talking about 1980. Right, right. Um, and, and as you said, end of the line. But yeah, uh, so how, you made two costumes initially for Tom, uh, a hero and a stunt? Uh, n uh, one uh -huh. costume to begin with. Whether we had a duplicate of that or not. The designer following me might have had a duplicate. Okay. Because he wore it, of course, right through. Right. And Amy did the other episodes. So she might well have had a duplicate made because I I mean, as I said, we had this bolt of So the one that uh, you had made, was that the one with the, the green and black kind of check lining? I'm trying to think. I mean, I did choose a lining like mm -hmm. that, yes. Okay. Um, but you see, for various reasons, designers that follow on will sometimes change the okay. lining because of, for various, often, I mean, overlay, if it's green right. overlay, and it's got green in it. Mm -hmm. You see, that lining could easily have been changed mm -hmm. and modified. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult to, because you see, there'd be no problem with that color that Tom, but there could well be the problem with the right. lining. So if Tom was taking it off his drain or using it, in the, then the lining would be a problem. So right. that could be either covered up or removed and relined. So that is a possibility. Gotcha. Yes. So I know in the Ledger Hive, <clears throat> you know, Tom had the hat and he had the uh, the brogues uh, and the socks. That's and, right. I yes. had those made. Um, yeah, girls. So actually, I liked him in the boots, actually. I, I He did wear that coat with the shoes and, uh, and socks. Yeah. Um, but I looked at him and I said, I don't like the look, really. I, I, I mean, Tom loved those, those brogues and socks, and they were great. Oh. They were fine as long as you didn't put a coat on. Okay. Um, they looked great with a Norfolk suit, which was a cord. 
Right. Um, that match the breeches. Yeah. And it looked great, but if he put his coat on, which he liked to wear the coat and ditch the Norfolk jacket, mm -hmm. I thought that the, the ankles and feet coming out in the shoes didn't somehow look that good, I thought. So he, he, he didn't really wear the shoes a lot. No, I noticed he switched very quickly. Yes, I did. I decided, yeah, I like boots, mm -hmm. and that worked better because he was wearing a coat more than the Norfolk coat. Right, right. So, you know, when you designed the costume, J&T actually gave you license to lose the scarf, but you kept it because, again, silhouette. Yeah. I kept it because I thought it was an integral part of his personality. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that it wasn't a good enough reason um, to get rid of it, the fact that I was redesigning the clothes. I didn't think it was a good enough reason to get rid of it. I mean, Designers on the whole are a bit ego-ridden. We do like to feel we've made a clean sweep for you. New design, I'm going to pull oh, no, no, I'll get rid of that scar. But in fact, I did think about that. And I, with the greatest reluctance, really, I thought I can't do that because the, the scarf is part of Todd's personality. And uh, also he used it as a prop. Right. I mean, to lasso things, to use it in the action. And of course, there didn't matter what sort of work that occurred to me. You might well have used your old scar with the new costume, oh. and that would not have looked good. So I thought it was safer and better and fairer to think about the program and forget, you know, I'm going to do something totally new um, and think about Tom. So. Um, that's why I thought, well, the scarf will be a scarf, but it would be radically different. It would be a chenille, the colours to complement his mm -hmm. costume. Because that certainly wouldn't have worked to, to make that same colours coat ridiculous. <laughs> Again, you see, that would have looked contrived. Right. It would look right, it would look ridiculous. Um, so, of course, it had to be colourful. And you picked chenille for the weight, you said? Uh, chenille. Right. Uh, for the weight, because it's not heavy. Tom could carry any weight. I mean, he's very powerful man, but it, it, that scarf was jolly heavy. Mm -hmm. Even the even the the shorter one, it's really heavy. And I thought the chenille is softer, it's richer colours. Um, it it had the right feel. Mm -hmm. I just thought the chenille was more suitable. That's why I chose the chenille. No, it's yeah. uh, the, the whole costume really ties together. As you said, a block of colour and it's very striking. Yes, it worked quite well. Yeah. Um, so you did do a design for Peter Davison before you left, correct? Yes. And yes, cricket ones. Yes. Um, I thought he was a young Englishman, fair hair, um, very um, typical mm -hmm. um, of the part he was playing. Very right. Um, and I thought the cricket whites would suit him. Mm -hmm. The white again, I love mine. And I thought it was a colour that he could wear in because, I mean, you get lots of, I mean, there's no way you could wear black, green, no, um, not the same colour as Tom, so that was out, red certainly not. Um, so you go through the spectrum, and I saw cricket white, you can imagine playing cricket, he was, the way he spoke, the way he looked, was very typically um, British sort of cricket playing, uh, as it was of that era, because cricket, cricketing gear is very different. And I should look great, so I, so I fitted him in that. But Colin Labors, <coughs> who um, 
followed me. Um, it put trimming on it. I, again, you see, I would never have done that because I thought it wouldn't be I'm cricket white, so again, a perfect, a lovely, simple, you know, he's got so much going for him. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't think that, that striping the piping, I, I, I just didn't, I didn't like, I, I have to be honest, I didn't like it, okay. uh, what was done to the, to the, 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 the costume afterwards, but then, that's his idea and not mine. Sure. I just make it wrong. It's just, uh, I have to say that I think that it, for me, it would have worked better mm-hmm. to have had quite so much stripes and piping and bits and, you know, it would have looked better had it been playing. He didn't need it. Mm-hmm. He had enough personality and style to carry that. Again, all on Right. And of course, question marks on the collar again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Even though we never got to sell new shirts. Yeah, I always did, because I read that, and I thought it was funny that JMT had that decision, but the shirts were never sold. No, they were never Yeah, very odd. Yeah, marketing time. Because Ben probably wouldn't be wearing question marks on question their shirts, right? <laughs> Except for the man. Imagine. And also, the fact is that you put a question, you buy a shirt, put a question mark on yourself, can you? I mean, yeah. it seemed to me to be not terrible. I mean, it didn't really hold a lot of water when you looked into it. Mm-hmm. I think he just wanted that show with a question mark. <laughs> he went mad with a question mark. Well, he certainly did with Sylvester. Right, yeah. I loved the umbrella, and I love Sylvester's hat. Mm-hmm. I loved the umbrella, the idea of the question mark. The question mark, yes. I thought that was true. I thought that maybe the waistcoat was a little... <laughs> it's taken a little bit too far. But again, <laughs> as I said, crazy, wonderful, magic world of Doctor Exactly. Wouldn't it be a shame if Sylvester wasn't dressed like that? <laughs> and Colin Baker. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're iconic costumes. Mm-hmm. They're wonderful. Mm-hmm. It Love is hard it. to think them otherwise. No. Yeah, you don't want them in any case. You don't want them all alike. Why do you want them all alike and alike? Mm-hmm. No. I love it. I, I thought of it afterwards and I thought, what am I doing? These costumes are just amazing and wonderful and funny and great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the show. The, um, the the Destiny Romana outfit was really fantastic. That play on Tom yeah. with the coat and the white scarf. Yeah, that was, that I was think so that cool. worked really well. It yeah. was a pretty color. Absolutely. With the, with the braces and the little britches and her dainty figure. She's just lovely. What what made you decide to kind of kind of ape the Tom look for that? Just Well, we were always trying to think of something that would work. We were outside a lot of the time, mm-hmm. so had to be warm, had to be comfortable, nice boots, warm breeches, coat, scarf. And also, what do you do? You know, we, we used to, I was just thinking, what can I do? And I thought, it's rather nice. It's a big tom and the, and the little little outfit. No, Popular outfit. Oh, very, very. It's a, it's a great look. Um, no, that's probably my favorite Ramon outfit, actually. Well, that's nice. I've seen one of two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, you worked on Survivors as well, correct? Yeah. Survivors. Um, now that was 70... Around 75, 76? 76, I think it was. Yes, the Survivors. Um, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And that was a, a fascinating. That's where I worked with Patrick Triton. Oh, yeah. 
Um, nice concept, and I can remember looking at the motorways, completely deserted. We used the motorways mm -hmm. a lot at, at night. It's strange how empty and bare they were. Mm -hmm. I was the first designer on that, so whatever the beginning of that was. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were based in a hippie colony. You were based on a hippie colony? Yeah, it was like a hippie place, but there were a lot of hippies in this great god house that belonged to one of the people that lived there, and it belonged to his father, and he was an eccentric and quite a young chap. Mm -hmm. And they'd emptied the entire house of furniture except for one huge sofa. And um, they were living like a commune. It was a commune. Uh -huh. And uh, it fascinated me because I used to go in this huge house, right. big manor house. I mean, not stately manor, I mean, a big house. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a, a thing on the wall, rotor. Washing, uh, the washing uh, duties would be Joe for. Wednesday and somebody else, but you know, they got this, and it, yeah, they all were running away because it was summer when we were working, running mm -hmm. around with kids' bare feet. And, you know, it was, a, it was a commune. It was the remainder of the hippies. I mean, it was the last of the hippies. I mean, it was the most strange place. Oh. The actors were well into I remember they used to go off, and I remember the leading man, the awful tricks we played on him. I remember once, uh, with the help of makeup, we made up a figure because he was he used to go off and have a drink. Well, of course he did, one for the boys. So he came back, <laughs> and I remember we dressed up a figure, um, put his clothes on, and the makeup did the thing. So he came to face to face with himself when he came through the door, uh -huh. <laughs> which was one heck of a shock. <laughs> <laughs> So we used to do terrible things, but we had a, a wonderful time. Do you have any advice for anyone getting into this profession? And what is your favorite or most uh, design you're the most proud of? Well, I think Tom Baker's costume mm -hmm. was wonderfully well received. Um, and I'm very proud of that costume. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and Lala's costume. I love. They are the, for me, the iconic costumes. And many of the, the, the visiting artists that we had were big names. Mm -hmm. um, and the thrill of it all. I mean, it's very difficult, isn't it? Because it's like asking somebody who their favourite child is, you know, if they've got a family. I, I, it's very hard, but I would say that, that I'm very proud to talk about this costume. I, love that costume. I think it works so well. So that is the one. And advice? Well, I think never be afraid to do anything. I would, yes, my advice would be in this, you have to take risks as a designer. Yeah. Not stupid risks. I mean, there are obvious things you don't do. But don't play it safe too much because your work can become very dull and you need to explore. Right. And also, in starting a profession, I think the most important advice I can give anybody, apart from studying the job thoroughly, saturate yourself in costume and period costume mm -hmm. and, and customs, because you've got to know the customs of, of a period as well as the clothes. You've got to know when people wore things. 
like in Victorian era, no lady would be seen without a little day cap. So you, you've got to know the manners of the period as well. And But as far as career is concerned, I would say to network. I mean, that is very, very important to meet people because it's through meeting people they get to know you, they get to know your work. And I would say the most important of all uh, to me is drawing. Learn art drawing because not all costume designers do, very few designers do mm. costume designs. But I would say that, that designing the costume in any way you want to, but get it on paper mm -hmm. so that when you meet the producer, he can see what you. I mean, it, there is no words that can express how important that is. Mm. To be, to be. If you can't draw, it doesn't matter. Make a collage, cut things out, trace it. Use the the. You've got the internet, which we never had. Mm -hmm. Just use anything, but get it on paper so that you've got it there, you can show it to the artist, show it to the director and producer, and they know what you're about. And also for yourself, because when you start designing a costume, if you draw it, you can't forget anything, and it makes you think about what you're doing. So if you draw the shoes, you start to think, what's shoes, oh yes. Or, or it, it, it starts the thinking process, so, it's not good enough to sketch the back of an envelope. I know there isn't much time, mm. but learning the art of drawing and learning the art of putting the paper, I would say, is, mm. yeah. and get on with people. Get on with people. Yes, absolutely crucial. You know, I mean, you could be the most wonderful, and I've met many in my time, most wonderful designers who are difficult. To be with, and everybody wants people that are nice to be with, easy to work with. And working with people of fun and nice and all the rest of it is very important. It's often said that with some productions they would rather have nice people than talented people. Which, I mean, I've often thought about that, and I, I did, I, that stuck in my mind. I but I wouldn't say that necessarily, except that personality is so important in yes. getting on with people. Yes, I mean, the thing is, that was another word of advice I would give to a costume designer. That well, I've got a young costume designer. Get the best person to make your clothes. If you're designing clothes, get if it's period, get a period cutter. Look at the person at the very top of the tree, the top designers. Who do they work with? Who do they use? Because it is the difference between success and failure. I mean, if a costume is badly made, it doesn't matter if it's a wonderful design. It's like, you know, Mozart. Can you imagine Mozart played by somebody who doesn't actually play very well? Exactly. You know, you, you've simply got to have the very best cutter who will rescue an inexperienced costume designer's design and say, well, actually, it would work a bit better if this was... But, and they will, they will guide and make sure that it looks terrific, it fits well, and it looks great, and that is what every costume designer wants. So, go for quality. Absolutely. And also, it is expensive, but they need new customers. They are meeting people who will one day be doing huge films, and therefore, 
they want to invest in that designer and they will often, as a young designer, they would do a bargain price or they will meet them in some way. So that is something else to remember. Thank you so much for joining us, Jane. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed every single minute of it. <laughs> With that, we'll be back next week on Costume Station Zero.